Hello and welcome back and welcome to episode two of Bombato, the La Liga podcast. Uh, first of all, thanks to everyone who downloaded the first episode. It way exceeded our expectations, so I'm really thrilled with that and I hope that you keep listening. Um, I'm Lee Roden, as always, and as always, I'm joined by Alexandra Jonsson over in Vigo. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing really, really well. I've got to enjoy some, some live football again this weekend. had the, the luxury with Celta having two home games, so... That is just good start to the season, I'd say. Yeah, we're going to talk about all of that in depth and, of course, about all of the other big talking points in La Liga. Um, but let's start off, I think, with one of the Basque teams and with one of the players that we're going to be following most throughout the season, right? Yeah, so down in on Mallorca this, this weekend, uh, we had uh, Real Sociedad picking up some points. So has Martin Adgard arrived at Real Sociedad now, would you say, Lee? Has he arrived? He In the second half, yeah. <laughs> which is a complicated answer. Um, it was a weird game for me, actually, because in the end, he got the headlines, and rightly so, but in the first half, or for a large stretch of it, I was thinking, hmm, I'd like to see more from Edgar because I know he's so supremely talented, um, and even at his young age, I know that he's so mature as a player. And I felt like in the beginning, he was taking a lot of safe passes. He wasn't really trying to force the issue. He wasn't really trying to pick the lock, and, and Mallorca were defending so well as well that they needed someone to take a risk. But then in the second half, I don't know if it was a, a team talk from Alguacil at halftime or what happened, if there was some kind of tactical adjustment, but it felt like he got braver, that Odegaard really grabbed that game by the neck. Um, and then before even the goal, there was a really nice moment where he was out on the wing and he used a little bit of trickery to free up some space and create a chance for Larial. And I think that's exactly what they'll need from him uh, this season. Um, and then the goal was just unreal. I mean, I don't know what you thought of about it, but that... I didn't even appreciate when I saw it first time, actually, how clever the little touch was that he took just before he finished. But then when you saw it in the replay, you realized, oh man, this is a mark of a class player. Like the way he set himself and the way he finished it right in off, almost off the post. I mean, there's no stopping it. And I think a lot of Real Sociedad fans are pretty happy with what they saw. At least that's the impression I got. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it was a brilliant, it's been a brilliant start for, for Adegod at Real Sociedad. And, uh, and I think a lot of Real Madrid fans have been happy with it as well. <laughs> Yeah, I really think that if he can continue to perform like this, then that's exactly what he needs to do to to make a statement and to make sure that Real Madrid pay attention. And especially now that he's playing in a midfield position, um, which I, I'm still not 100% certain about and I wasn't certain about earlier on. Um, but he proved a point with it at the weekend. And if he can keep doing that, then, you know, maybe sooner rather than later, Real Madrid will have to pay attention because as we'll come to later on, they don't exactly have a... Um, excess of uh, quality options in the middle of the pitch, or at least not quality young options. But anyway, so let's turn to another Scandinavian who was involved in that match too, albeit slightly less. Uh, Alexander Isaac got, I guess, another 20-ish minutes for Larial from the bench yet again. Um, and from my point of view, I thought he produced a really good performance in the time that he was there. But what do you think and, and how close do you think he is to the starting eleven? Well, to be honest, my, my first uh, instinct after watching this, these two matches that it's just been, as you say, about 20 minutes for him, um, is that I'm a little bit afraid of pushing him too far and, and going mm. too early with, with giving him too much responsibility. Uh, but at the same time, I did speak to, to a close friend of mine who's a local journalist in San Sebastian, uh, Mikel Recalde, who I think if you know Spanish... Follow mm. him on Twitter because that's the guy for anything about Real Sociedad. And basically, okay. yeah, if you, you ask anyone in, in San Sebastian, there's no one who knows more about Real Sociedad than, than this guy. Mm -hmm. So I talked a little bit about him just to get his feeling on, on Alexander Isak's start and also 
the the local point of, of view and and he's completely determined that Alexander Isak should be should start probably already in the Bas Derby this weekend and if not in, in the Derby but then at least before they play Atletico Madrid at home which is on the 14th of September I think uh, so from his point of view having watched all of the friendlies this summer uh, as well as these two two La Liga matches where we only have, to, have got to see like 20 minutes in each match, which is, is quite small to, to get to really do an assessment. Uh, he thinks that Alexander Isak is, is more than ready to take that step and, and be a starter at the same time as Villian Jose has not been performing at all. It's been a huge disappointment. Um, so after talking to him, I might have changed my mind a little bit, uh, but I still feel we shouldn't push him too much too early because it's important to that he gets... The, the real part, uh, the real good start that he can get at the Triasa I think also to Alguacil's credit, he's been quite smart about how he's used them because he's not put too much pressure on him. I mean, this is still a kid, remember, it's still a kid in a new league. Um, and so they've built up this expectation now. And when he comes on, teams are maybe a little bit more tired. There's maybe a little bit more space. And you saw that in, in both matches that he's played, his two contributions or or his biggest contributions, I would say, have been quite similar in that it's been he's dribbling, he's running at people, uh, he's running at tired legs, and he's drawing fouls. And in one instance, that played a big part in setting up the goal last weekend, and then this weekend there was no goal came from it, but um, he won a really uh, an interesting free kick for them when they needed it against Mallorca. And then also his movement, by the way, uh, for the for Odegaard's goal, is obviously we should focus on Odegaard, we should focus on Porto, but the run that Isaac makes is really smart. Um and so now I think, yeah, like you said, William Jose has not exactly been excelling. I think the one difference between them, though, is that um, Isaac's moments have been quite individual so far. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, uh, obviously, because he's been there for such a long time, William Jose is more connected to the team. Um, so it feels like maybe Isaac still has to learn some of the movements, to learn some of the mechanisms of his teammates around him. But I think sooner rather than later, we're going to see more from him because regardless, he's having an impact. It's so obvious. You can see it's, it's concrete. Exactly, and I think that the things that are missing with Isaac as you're into is to have that connections with his teammates. I feel he has a little bit better with Odegaard than with many of the others, but that's that's things that comes with time and he has to, to adapt and, and get into the team that more. Uh, but if we move away from the Basque country for now at least uh, and look down to where the goals were scored this, this weekend, because there wasn't a lot of goals in La Liga, but mm. there was a lot of goals at Camp Nou. So... Is this the Antoine Griezmann that we expect and hope to see at Barcelona? Uh, it's a weird one because I think those are two points. What do we expect from Griezmann and what do we hope to see? Um, I guess what people would hope to see is that he scores and he creates goals and he did that and he did it in spectacular fashion. But then what do we expect? Well, we expect that he'll have to play alongside Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez. So they weren't there at the weekend. So he got to take up spaces that he doesn't get to take up when they're there. So in a strange kind of way, it's deceptive. It doesn't really tell us much, I think, um, even though that will sound contradictory and people will be disappointed because they're getting excited about him. It doesn't tell us much about how he's going to do it, Barca, because he's not going to do the same job when those other starting players are there. Um, so on the one hand, it's a positive thing that, you know, when Messi's out in particular, Barca tend to struggle. Uh, and Griezmann showed that he can pick up some of the slack and, and do something special. But on the other, I'm still cautious. I don't really know if we can take too much about this because we still have to see how he adapts to playing alongside those two. And looking at Barcelona so far, is there any concerns emerging despite this huge win? Yeah, I mean, it's still early, so it's 
we should be cautious, like I always say. I know I'm overly cautious, but it feels like there's still a lot of the same concerns that they had before. Um, they really let Betis into that game when they should probably have closed it out. Even though Barcelona were overwhelmingly good in the attack, they still conceded twice. Uh, the defence still looked a little bit shaky, and in particular, they still struggled to control in the deeper midfield positions. And Well, that's a question for another time. Um, but I think that's the, the main area of concern. It's the one that, in theory, they've addressed by signing Frankie de Jong. But there are still some big doubts about that. And if we look at the league table, it might be more concerned for Real Betis, who are, I think, at the bottom, very bottom of the table, having no points so far. Is it time to worry about Betis, or is this just... Well, I think the thing about this game as well, is because what Betis done in this fixture last season is completely unrealistically changed expectations. Betis don't win at the Camp now. It happens very, very rarely. And then there was that freak occasion last year where all the stars sort of aligned and everyone had like the best game they had all season um, and, and they took the win. But we shouldn't have expected them to win this fixture. They didn't. And I think it's early days as well. For me, I'm, I'm, Alex, you know, I'm a big admirer of Ruby. I've admired him for a long time since he was at Girona. I think he's a great coach. And I think at Espanyol last season, he proved that when there was still some doubts. But his Espanyol, they dropped six points in their first three games last season. It took a while for them to really find their form. And they ended up in a European position. Now, Betis would be more than happy to finish in a European position. That's their target this year. I think he needs some more time. I don't know about you. I think we should always be a little bit more cautious when trying to judge these teams at this stage. Absolutely, and we, I think we also should remember that they were without Borja Iglesias this weekend, who's going to be one of the key players for sure this season for Betis. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, and, and also for Ruby's system. I mean, he was key for Espanyol last year. He's going to be key for Betis, who need a centre forward or needed a centre forward so desperately. So, like you said, we didn't really get much insight into the the Betis that we will see hopefully over the course of the year. But let's turn to to the game that you were at, and what a game, man! I really enjoyed this. Um, Celta picked up, I think, a hugely impressive win against Valencia. They used a total of seven youth products against Los Che. That's staggering. Not many teams can fill that many <laughs> players from their academy. How important are they for this Celta project? Yeah, and then also Vicky Lozada, who came on and scored against Real Madrid last weekend, becoming the second youngest after Santamina to ever score a La Liga goal for, for Real Madrid. He didn't even play this weekend. So uh, it's a team that has, I think, 12 youth team homegrown players in the, squ- in the squad this season. Uh, and it makes a huge, huge difference, I would say, and a huge difference from last season. Last season, we saw Salta de Vigo with a lot of players who seem to not care at all about the club or about the team and more think about themselves. Well, this season, we have a complete different type of squad. We have players who would do anything for, for this team. And just how much that means for Celta, I think we see that in the way they play. But I also think uh, it creates a different connection between the fans and the team. Uh, and yesterday, before the match, I was out talking to a lot of fans. We were especially talking about Maxi Gomez, Santimina, since that's the, the connection right now between Celta Valencia, as it was the summer transfer where Maxi went one way, Santimina came back. And in that deal, Celta actually got two players and a lot of money. But if you ask any of the of the fans outside the stadium, they think they got a, the better deal by far because mm. they got Santimina back. Uh, and asking them if they prefer Maxi or Santi, they will say 
every single one says Santimina. And it's not because Maxi Gomez wasn't a fantastic player at Celta. He was, and they all appreciate him a lot. They welcomed him uh, this weekend with open arms. But the thing is that Santimina is a kid from, from here. He's a kid who, who cares about Celta. And that matters a lot for these fans. And, and you could really notice that throughout the match as well, how they share them on. And I think it just gives another dynamic to, to Celta. And one last point on this is that if you look at the key players of the Celta team, they're all, all from, from Vigo. You have Dani, mm. Dani Suarez in the midfield, you have Hugo Mayo in the defence and the captain, and you have Iago Aspas up front. So this is a team that is built on the Cantaranos, uh, and that will be very interesting to see how far that can take them. I think like the geography of Spain is important as well in understanding mm-hmm. Celta, especially now because Depor are not in La Liga. They're kind of out there on their own. There's no one else really around them, and they have such a, a sense of self and an identity. And you see that in the players that end up becoming popular there. Not not always even just youth players, but players who come there and really feel Vigo and feel Celta as a club. Um, no, and speaking, a good example. Yeah, exactly. Who, well, not going to be back there, sadly, which would have been a nice story. But um, I want to talk about someone who is a, a youth product, Dennis Suarez. I thought he was probably the man of the match. And, you know, you could say he didn't get the, the goal uh, from the penalty spot. But if you hadn't watched the game, you could think that was him not doing well. But he was phenomenal. Um, and this is exactly what Celta signed him for, I think, for these kind of occasions. Um, is he there to stay for good? If he keeps playing like this, what happened? Yeah, we will see. No, but the interesting thing with, with Denis Suarez, which I think don't a lot, a lot of people probably not don't know because he's been away from Celta for so long and he left when he was 16, is that few players are as much Celta de Vigo as this kid. He's grown up with this club. He's loved this club for a very, very long time. And to be honest, if you ask him... The only reason that he actually left Celta before even making his first team debut when he was 16 to go to Manchester City was because the club was in a very economical, difficult situation and needed those money from, from City. He, before that, he had turned down Real Madrid as well. Um, and when he was playing for the FC Barcelona's first team, he was talking in interviews about how his biggest dream was to play for Celta's first team because he never got to play for the first team. And now he's back and gets to do that. And what I would like to make a cooperation with, which in one way doesn't really make sense, but in one way does, is to, to with uh, Denis Suarez and Iago Aspas. Because both mm. came up for the club, both left and both came back to be key players, loved by the fans, and maybe didn't really managed to, to do that same thing elsewhere that they've been doing at, yeah. at Celta. And if you look at Diago Aspas, he would probably never leave Celta now. Uh, he's mm. been at Liverpool and Sevilla and failed. He comes back and he has feels the love from the club. He's enjoying every weekend, even though the level he's playing football on, he could play at such a much higher level. And the same might be with Dennis Suarez. It's more difficult to say because he's a younger player, he's a different situation, but he's been around. He's been at Barca, at Sevilla, at Valencia, not Valencia, Villarreal. He's been in the Premier League and so on. Now he comes back to Vigo and he's just find his spot like from the start. The fans loves him. He's loving it. And one fun thing as well to, to point in, he posted on Instagram this weekend after the match how much he loves being back home, how much he loves having the fans behind him. Iaguaspas comments on it and says, Dude, I told you to come back. You should have listened to me earlier. I told you to come back earlier. There is, yeah. No, I think there's a definite feeling. You can. It almost felt like at moments in that match that not a changing of the guard, but there were moments when the way that he grabbed the team by the neck and really was happy to play a key part. You were like, oh, I've seen this before, and it's the other guy that's on the pitch right now. Yeah. He had that Iago Aspas like fire in his belly, you know. 
Um, and I wonder also, I mean, part of this that we should point out is that Marcelino really, really wanted to sign Denis Suarez for Valencia this summer uh, to, the, to the stage where Denis thought he was going there. And then from what Dennis said, he's been open about it in public. Uh, Valencia pulled the trigger because they had some doubts about his, not professionalism, but uh, maybe let's read between the lines and say off the pitch, how hard he trains or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he, his reaction to that was, oh, right. Oh yeah. Okay. You think that? Well, let's see. And I think he proved the point of the weekend. It was a phenomenal performance. Um, But we should talk about someone who did actually go to to Valencia, someone who Marcelino did get in the end. Uh, Maxi Gomez, who came back to Balaidos, but didn't really achieve much and rather it was replacement another Uruguayan they like their Uruguayan forwards there in Vigo uh, Gabriel El Toro Fernandez I believe his nickname is the bull <laughs> who scored the only goal in the match what did you make of him well uh, it felt to be honest uh, watching the match like Celta never lost Maxi Gomez that he was still playing for them uh, but it was just Gabriel Fernandez instead uh, same type of player moving around in the same kind of way and doing the same kind of thing for Celta, scoring the goal that, that got them the win. Uh, and you can feel the Celta fans that they they appreciate Maxi a lot. Uh, he was getting shares during the warm-up and, and you could really, they have no bad feelings with him whatsoever. They understand the move, everything with it, and they're very happy with what he did for them. Uh, but they also very don't feel like they made such a big loss. Like I said before, they're happy to get Santimina back and Gabriel Fernandez has, so far at least, we're very early in the, in the season, uh, been taking on the, the role that Maxi Gomez had very, very well. He's already got his own song from the Celta Pants camp set as well. Uh, so from from this match, it just felt like nothing has really changed for Celta in, in the sense when it comes to Maxi Gomez in that position. For Valencia's point of view, I feel, I don't know about you, but I feel like this is a particularly bad weekend for them. Not so much for the result, the result's bad, but also for the, the display. The thing that surprised me the most um given who Valencia are and given who their opponents are is that they were completely outsmarted and outmuscled by Celta I mean that normally the hallmarks of a, a Marcelino team is that physically they're great and that their game management skills are great um, and there's a feeling now that this could explode at any minute that just there's like a gas leak in, in the Mestalla and it just takes someone to light a match and it could all go up so I, was, I would be slightly concerned if I was a Valencia fan over that display considering what's going on off the pitch yeah and then we also had uh, Rodrigo sitting on the bench or starting on the bench uh, this weekend so what do you take of, of, of that situation is is this the, what is the latest on Rodrigo will he be, be leaving or, or is it better for him to yeah. stay uh, depending on who you pay attention to in the Spanish media, he's either going to be gone within 24 hours, 48 hours, or it's not going to happen at all. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, it, again, it's this whole domino effect thing that Ajero Correa needs to move and that that money needs to come in to then pay for Rodrigo to go to Atleti. Um, I do wonder, though, if this was Marcelino sending a message. And he said afterwards that no one forced him to make a decision on whether to start Rodrigo or not. So it was his choice. And I wonder if sitting this guy on the bench and then given how the, the game played out, uh, even before he'd come on, Valencia were not doing well, it was a statement to Peter Lim, you know, okay, if you're going to take away one of my key players, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go to Celta and we're going to get better and we're going to lose. So your move, man, time for you to do something. That was the impression I got anyway. Uh, and then we've talked about uh, a few players who have 
past or uh, with both clubs. Uh, another one is Daniel Vaz, who used to play for Celta de Vigo, who's a player who can play in very, very many different positions. I remember when he played for Celta, he was a midfielder in Celta, but at the national team, they wanted him on the right back, and it was like mm. a huge conflict and everything. But he's a very versatile player, very good. What is his position really, though, at, at Valencia? Yeah, I don't... Well, there's, those are two questions. What is his position and what is his position at Valencia? Um, it's almost a... I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but he's almost too versatile. I think he, he rarely puts in a display where you go, oh man, he was horrible. We can never use him there again. So he generally gets pass marks at a minimum. Um, last season, he played quite a bit in the midfield, particularly when certain players were missing. Uh, this season, he's started two league games in two different positions. He's played in uh, a sort of more midfield role and also in right back. I think the the issue right now is that Valencia don't have a particularly convincing option at right back. So by default, it seems that Vas is going to be playing there unless they manage to move in the, the market or what's left of the transfer window to bring in someone else. Um, and it doesn't seem like they have the funds to do that. And in particular, I think their priorities are going to be up front if Rodrigo goes. So I think he's going to be at right back for the time being. I mean, he's already done well this season. I mean, he got an assist uh, the first round of the, the league campaign. So I think Vass is actually one of these players. I mean, I, I know that in Celta, he was generally quite uh, well thought of as well. I think he's quite an underrated footballer. He's much better than most people give him credit for. I mean, what did you make of him when he was in Vigo? No, I completely agree. And I think that losing him was, was really, really hard on, on Celta, him and, and a few other players. Like That's what made the collapse happen last season. They didn't really have anyone who could, could replace in that position. Uh, and yes, that's, he's a really, really versatile player, as you say. Uh, and what I found quite interesting was that I had an interview with him while he was playing for Celta, uh, where ahead of a national team match between Sweden and Denmark. Now, this was uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I guess people who are from Denmark or, or know Vos knows that there's been quite some friction between him and the national team. But what was interesting then was that he right out told me that at the national team, they wanted him to play right back, and, and that is not where he wants to play. He's a midfielder, and that's where he enjoyed most being, which was where he was playing at Salta. But obviously, he's a player who, if the coach puts him somewhere, he's going to do his best, and he always does. And he's a player that I think everyone likes. And as a coach, you would probably love having your, him in your team. So someone, well, staying on the subject of Scandinavian, someone who almost has the opposite problem to Vass, who everyone seems to want to find an excuse to play, regardless of where it is, is Jan Gadetti, who apparently his coaches seem to want to find an excuse not to play. Uh, he was on the bench yet again at the weekend, despite Alaves being unable to score against Espanyol, which doesn't really make sense to me when you've got an experienced striker there. Uh, what's his situation, Alex? You know this well. Could it change before the window closes? I think it's a very difficult situation for him where he's just fallen out of, of the picking order, to, to be completely honest. Uh, I think they have four players at Alaves at the moment who could play in that position. They have Lucas Perez, who's undoubtedly the first choice. They have Jose Lu, and then Demotrovic and uh, Gudetti. And I would say at this point, Gudetti is probably a third choice. He could even like slink down to the fourth choice. And exactly why that is, is very difficult to say when you're not there at the training sessions, knowing exactly what's going on. Or, or how the coach is, is thinking. But what is also interesting is that at least Alaves fans desperately, desperately want Jonathan Caleri back. And Alaves has been interested in, in signing him back. But would they do that? They would probably first have to sell a, sell a striker. So it's very, there is still the possibility that John Gudetti could leave Alaves this summer before the, the window closes if they decide to go for Caleri and get him back. Uh, it looks less and less likely the, the more the time goes. Uh, but what that will mean for, for John if he stays or not, 
we, we will see. And if he stays, I think it's going to be difficult for him to, to take that spot because he needs to get some chance and, and really, really take it for, for things to change, or, uh, to switch it up, so, so to say. Uh, and moving on from there, uh, we had a Madrid derby taking on this, this week, and there's a lot of Madrid derbies going on every season. Uh, so Atletico Madrid traveled to Botarque to play Leganes, and Atleti was the only one of the big three with six points from the two matches so far. Uh, does that tell us something, Lee? Uh, I think it does. Uh, first of all, they never won in La Liga at Butarque, so that's something already a benchmark achieved. But in general, I think these games, anyone who's watched Atleti in recent years under Simeone will recognize this. These are the games against stubborn defensive sides who kind of play them at their own game. They're the games where they tend to struggle the games where they tend to drop points. They're, they're quite good at raising their level against attacking teams, but when they have to play against a team that gives them the initiative, they tend to have a hard time picking the lock. Not this time. Um, it took a while for them to get there, but they, they got the three points just as they got the three points at the weekend. I thought Alvaro Morata, who didn't score, um, but regardless of that, I thought he was phenomenal. The way he held up the ball, the way he brought other people into play, the way he varied his movements from through the middle to out into the flank. Joe Felix, I mean, it's. I have a funny feeling that every weekend now we're going to end up talking about this kid and that it's going to get a bit repetitive because Something that's two matches. Yeah, I mean, he's incredible. A direct contribution to a goal for a second time. And he's one of those players who you don't see much of him for a long time in a match. And then he pops up and does something spectacular. And uh, who does that remind you of? I don't want to make the, the messy comparison, but great players have a habit of doing that. They lure you into a false sense of security. And then when you're not paying attention or just when you think that they're caged, they appear and they do something. So in general, I think it was an impressive display. And I also want to want to talk briefly about Vitolo because he's a guy who's had a really hard time since he signed for them. I mean, even from the beginning, he wasn't able to join straight away because of the transfer ban. And then just when he started to get going, he would get injured and he'd never really had been able to fulfill on the, the reason why Atleti were so keen to sign him in the first place. But he's had a great preseason. When I saw them in Stockholm, I noticed that he's put on some muscle. He looks a lot bulkier than he used to be. He looks a lot fitter. Um, and then he came on and changed this game and won it for them. Uh, Diego Simeone's trying to calm expectations. You know, he's playing down. Okay, just because you score doesn't mean that you automatically start. So I think he's trying to continue to give him that motivation. But so far, so good. And I think he could be a really important 12th man, if you like, from the bench for Atleti, who shouldn't be overlooked. And I think also this was one of the few times, if maybe even the only, at least at Botarque, as you said, that uh, Simeone managed to beat a, a side coach by Pellegrino. Because even when Pellegrino was at Alaves, uh, Simeone had really difficulties against uh, against his teams and has always had. Uh, but is there any doubts when it comes to Atletico Madrid or, or are they going to win this La Liga title? Might be a oh. bit early to say. <laughs> yeah, I'll be careful with that one. Ironically enough, I think the doubt, the only doubt that I have is the defence. Uh, they didn't look hugely convincing at times uh, in this match. And I mean, part of the problem with that is they weren't able to field the same defence as in the first round of the league because Lodi got suspended. So they had to field it. In this instance, Simeone went for a back three uh, with two wing backs instead of playing Hermoso at left back, where he can play. He played there for Real Madrid Castilla and then later when he was out on loan. Uh, instead, he went for three at the back and then had Saul at left wing back. And we all know how much Saul loves playing there, not. Um, and then Trippier right wing back. And yeah, it felt like uh, Leganes could manage to break through, particularly in the second half. They figured out that especially behind Saul's flank, there was space to be gotten at and they targeted that and they created chances. Um, and maybe on another day or maybe against a side that had a bit more accuracy in their finishing, Atleti could have conceded. So 
curiously enough, it's the opposite of what we normally say. Um, we need to we need to wait and see just how this new Atletico back four uh, or this uh, first choice back four settles because we've not been able to see it consistently yet. And if we're going to turn and look a little bit at Leganes, firstly, I just want to point out my huge disappointment of the news that there is no longer any Bocadillos de Lomo sold at Butarque Stadium. This is probably the saddest La Liga news we could have gotten. Uh, so that makes me not as uh, happy to go to Butarque anymore. I will probably still go there a lot. But Ex- Explain to people who are listening what that is, because it's like a cultural hallmark of La Liga. Yeah, so the Butarque Stadium, which is Leganes' home, is famous more than for its football. It's probably famous for its fantastic sunsets where you see big parts of Madrid from the stadium as well, which is beautiful. But then more than anything for Bogadillo de Lomo, which is a sandwich. What is Lomo in English? Isn't it pork? I thought it was pork. I'm vegetarian, so I can't tell you. Anyways, it's uh, it's really, really well made. And uh, at least before, now they have... The first time I went to Butarque, at least, they had they were like making the sandwiches, uh, like at the spots with the with the meat and everything. It's like everything freshly done, everything local produced, incredible. And the Bocadillo de Lomo is probably the best food you'd ever get at any football ground. And now they don't even have it anymore. So that is very very sad news for anyone loving to go to Butarque and watch football and eat their fantastic Bocadillo de Lomo, but. The question is, is there still reason to go to Botarque as a Scandinavian to watch Martin Breitwaite or how has his start to the season been? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so he hasn't got the goal, which makes it look not great on paper, but actually he had a goal ruled out in the first round, which was pretty tight. And then I thought against Atleti, he was probably the most dangerous player for Lega. And if you look at the write-ups in the Spanish press, a lot of them said that, that Brathwaite was uh, Lega's best player. So... I don't think there's any cause for concern. He, he worked really hard. He was always looking to link up with industry. They have that almost telepathic partnership now. He's just lacking the goal. But I think he's going to find, you know, for this team, it's it's going to be tough to create and score goals with Leganes because most of the time they're the underdogs. They're on the back foot. The strikers are going to be asked to run a lot, to do a lot of things other than score goals and then still have the energy to produce something, produce some kind of end product. So it'll be a test of his mental strength, but I think he's up for the challenge. I think he knows what's uh, waiting for him. So we'll, we'll round up our round up of the, the Scandinavians then with a look towards some people who we've not talked about, actually. Um, before we look at Real Madrid's men, I think we should look a bit further back in the week at their women who you went to see uh, in the flesh. So first of all, for our listeners who maybe don't know the, f- the full details of it, can you explain the situation with Tere Tacon, who... Well, I'll say they're effectively part of Real Madrid right now, but you might be able to go into to more detail about that. Yeah, so basically Real Madrid has merged, you could say, together with uh, this this club called City Tacon to create their women's team. Though this is not actually happening until next year. So at this point, it's still City Tacon, it's not Real Madrid. Um, even though some media like to make it sound like it is already Real Madrid and some players are already trying to make it sound like it is Real Madrid. That is actually not the case. Uh, but to make, to try to understand more than it's, it's easy to say Real Madrid and they're going to be up there competing with Atletico Madrid and Barcelona at the top of the Liga Iberdrola, which is the name of the women's league table. I think that is to have way, way too high expectations. Because Cede Tacon is a quite, quite new team. I think they've just been around for a few years. They won promotion to the first division of Spanish football last year um, and is going to play the first uh, 
uh, first ever season in the top division. And even though they've done some Galactica signing, um, including two Swedes that we will get into, uh, and a few others, it's still a team that is based on a lot of youth, a lot of uh, quite unexperienced players, and, and it's a, a new adventure for them. It's a building of something. Uh, so the expectations shouldn't be okay, this is Real Madrid, they're going to go out and win every single title, because this is a project that needs to, to be worked on. This is a young team that, that will probably have a quite difficult start uh, to their first time in, in the first division. But to again go back to the, the entire connection with Real Madrid, even though they are not becoming Real Madrid until next season, they're still playing in City Tacon shirts, uh, everything is still run by, by Tacon, so to say. Uh, the club, they will, however, play their matches at Real Madrid's training ground, and, and I also think their, their social media will, in, in some regards, be run by, by Real Madrid. So there are some, some small things to start the transformation, but they're not really becoming Real Madrid in many senses until next season. I think also to play devil's advocate, and this is my analysis, not yours or anyone else's, um, even though they're officially not supposed to transform until next year, I think you could say that things like playing on Madrid's facilities are a sign of, okay, we want you to have a better standard of uh, ground to play on. And then the kind of signings they made, you know, they're, they're let's be, Sofia Jakobsen and Kosovari Aslani are not the kind of signings that Sede Takon would have made before Definitely Real Madrid not. appeared on the horizon. Um, so let's talk about the two Swedes and the Galacticas, um, if you like. What do you expect their role to be with this team this year? Well, to start with, I don't think they they themselves truly understood the level of Sede uh, Takon when they signed for them over. Real Madrid, because I just have to, to add one thing to what I was saying before, is that it's not just that they are a newly promoted team in the Spanish League, it's that the Spanish League is still developing a lot, and it's a very, still very, very big differences from the top and the bottom, and even the top teams are still fighting to become more and more competitive when it comes to other leagues around Europe. So for Sofia Jakobson and Kosovar Aslan, who's been playing now lastly, Sofia in, in the French League and, and Kose in the Swedish League, it's a huge, huge difference from what they, the standards they're used to, both in the professionalism around the team, as well as in, in the experience and the level of the team. So that they're going to be on a least like the match I was at where, where Tacon played Sevilla now this weekend and, and lost 2-3. It was just seeing those two in comparison with many of their teammates. It's not that their teammates are, are bad in any way. It's just that it's a really, really big gap in between of the level that they are playing on, which at times is going to be quite frustrating for, for Aslan and Jakobsson. But I think their, their role and the expectations of them in this team is to help build this team and create something new, create a Real Madrid. Um, and they're going to have a really, really important role in, in being able to do this transformation for them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it remains to be seen how it all unfolds. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty yeah. in the air, um, not just for, for the sure. players, but in general. Um, Turning to the men's team, it feels like there's plenty of uncertainty there too. Yeah, for sure. So what would you say? How, how worried should we be about Madrid after their draw against Real Valladolid at their first home match of the season? Um, I would say very worried. It felt like we saw the same old problems that we saw from Real Madrid last season. They were sluggish. They were predictable. They lacked legs in the midfield. And I think that any answers we thought we may have gotten from the Celta game are now challenged. And I think I said last week, and I said to you that I wouldn't have taken too much away from that, that win against Celta because I felt like Celta played below par um, and made it maybe a little bit too easy for Madrid. And I think Celta have answered that with the performance they produced this weekend. Uh, so there are still huge questions about just how good this 
Real Madrid team really is, and I, I would be concerned. And you, we talked about it a little bit before when we were on Odegaard, but what would you say is the solution for, for Real Madrid to turn this thing, this around? Yeah, like as I said, when it comes to Martin, they really need a midfielder. They need a midfielder with energy, um, someone who has some inspiration, someone who looks less jaded than some of the people they have now. Um, and the market closes in a week and there's not a huge margin for that now. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they end this window without it. Um, Eden Hazard, of course, will help and he's not been playing. So we have to reserve some judgment until he uh, gets fit and gets playing for them again in La Liga. But I, I'm not sure he resolves the issue they have in the middle of the pitch. And I'm, I'm pretty concerned about that and I'm intrigued to see what Zidane can come up with, how he can try and resolve a situation if he doesn't get the answer from the transfer window which i suspect might be the case but anyway i think that's plenty about everything that's happened this weekend there was tons of action we could go on forever but we got some huge games coming up in the near future and i think there's one that stands out in particular this coming friday night it's athletic club against real sociedad which is always a, a special occasion it's at samames but real sociedad are really strengthened we've talked about them in detail Alex, you know these two clubs like the back of your hand. Who are the favourites for this one? I think it's, uh, it's really difficult to say. I would probably go with the Athletic Club, mainly because they're playing at home, but also because it's it's two clubs that at this season, I feel, are two of the most excitement, uh, exciting ones for, for us that feels uh, like they're going to do very good seasons, that they are in, in a very good place as clubs. Uh, the difference is probably that the Athletic Club have been in that place, good place in a longer time. They are in a more secure sense of what they are doing and how they are doing things. What they are lacking, as we've been on before, is a real goal scorer and, and getting the goals. Uh, but they are home as well the, this uh, weekend. Uh, but the thing is, it is a derby and we all know that anything can happen in derbies. And if we look at the last season, I would say that Atletico were huge, huge, huge favourite going into that one and still Real Sociedad won. Uh, and what happened there, I'd say, is that Real Sociedad took it as the most important match of the season. They went into it and did everything they could to win it. While Athletic, even their comments before the match uh, showed that they didn't really care that much because for them the big opponents was to beat the big ones. And Real Sociedad, they're like, easy for us, we'll do it, we do it very, very easily. And, and that ended up with Real Sociedad winning. So anything can happen in that sense. And I think it's difficult to say a favourite. Uh, one thing I want to touch on before we go, because there's like an overwhelming amount of derbies in Spanish football, especially if you come from countries where there's not that many. Sometimes you can think, wow, there's like a derby every weekend. Um, you've experienced these clubs in the flesh and lots of derbies claim to be the best or the most unusual or somehow different. But, but what is it that makes this one? What is it that makes Athletic Real Sociedad, Real Sociedad Athletic truly different for you? Well, I would say that it is a friendly derby in, in many, many ways. Like the Basque people, they pride themselves over being Basque more than anything else. So when they're Basque together, they, they create a party. Uh, so even if you take Real Sociedad Athletic, but even if you put in Eibar and Alaves in there, I was at a Eibar Real Sociedad derby a few years back, and there was even Athletic fans coming because it's a Basque party. Uh, so they celebrate together before the match. They are obviously rivals during the match, but they are friends again after it. Uh, but if we're going to find, there is still rivalry, obviously, and if we're going to find where I think there is the most friction between these two clubs, it's the fact with their transfer policies. So Athletic Club, they only sign Basque players. And Real Sociedad used to be like that as well. They are not anymore. But what it has created is that because Athletic can only sign Basque players, they will often try to go to Real Sociedad and, and steal a few of them. Uh, and Athletic being a bit of a bigger club, having more finance, uh, they would will offer quite a lot more money than Real Sociedad can do. 
uh, and there where that's where the fans get their they get their fighting yeah. if you, you can you can say with the uh, Inigo Martinez being a good example in the last few years we also have Yuri who plays for uh, for Athletic now who came up through at uh, Real Sociedad then went to PSG and then to Athletic so there you have it it's uh, Athletic offers more money on the table uh, and that's where you get the friction between these two clubs another player at Athletic who came up through the youth ranks of Real Sociedad is Kenan Conan. Anyway, his dad used to play for Real Sociedad. He's actually of Bosnian heritage, mm. but he's born in San Sebastian because his dad was playing for Real Sociedad, scored a hat-trick on Athletic Club, which is a very, very special hat-trick. And then he signed, he, the kids end on, ends up signing for Athletic because, you know, he's born in, in the Basque country. So that's quite an interesting story to, to have with you going into the Basque derby if he would end up scoring. I think at some point we should actually, maybe in one of the international breaks um, or when there's a little bit less action to talk about, we should go in detail on the Basque-only policy because there's a lot yeah. of... There's a lot of misunderstanding about what that means, and especially in, in recent years, the, the definition of what exactly that means has changed slightly. So, I mean, one name that always comes up is Emmerich Laporte, for example. But another thing, like on the subject of players who have turned down Athletic, uh, it's not that well known, but Antoine Griezmann turned down Athletic when he was at Real Sociedad, and he would have qualified to play for them. And we can explain that in, in detail, how he would qualify as technically have been Basque under Athletic's definition. So maybe that's something to dive into in the future. And also on the subject of Athletic always needing a striker, maybe in 10 years time, <laughs> that subject will come up again. Um, yeah, but I think sure. that's plenty for, for episode two. There's so much to, to talk about that we have to cut off at some point. Um, please, by all means, follow us on Twitter at Bombathopod. Um, and above all, also, could you please leave us a positive rating on iTunes if you like the podcast and also like us on Podbean, wherever you get the podcast, uh, show your appreciation. That will help us to climb the rankings and that will help us to produce more episodes. But until then, Friday night, set your VCRs. Those don't exist anymore. Make sure to watch <laughs> The Bass Darway. It's going to be a cracker. And we'll be back the same time next Monday, next week, when the transfer window in Spain will be closing. So we'll make sure to round up all of that. So until then, Alex Johnson. Bye bye. We Adios. chose English this week. Hello, Adios. 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 Adios.